welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and in each episode you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. Then I'll send you away with three handy practical tips that you can use at home. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read from our wide range of resources while you're on the go on the My Family Coach website. It's series three, episode three, and I'm joined by Trish Hicken and Emma Brodel. Trish Hicken is the team leader for the specialist language teachers in Lincolnshire with an MSc in speech and language and communication. She has recently been awarded a Sternberg Clinical Innovation Award for her part in the DLD Together project. Emma Brodel, her colleague, is a specialist language teacher with a postgraduate diploma in language and communication impairment in children, and her specialist interests include vulnerable children, children in care, and also youth offending. Today we're talking about communication and behaviour and enjoy the interview. Hi Emma, hi Trish, how are you? Very well, thank you. Hi, yes I'm good, thank you. Lovely to have you both here. Um, We're really excited today because we're talking about language and behaviour and our first kind of lead-in for the podcast is to ask you about uh, a book that you might be reading and you could recommend to parents. Yep. (laughs) The book that that we're recommending is Language for Behaviour and Emo- Behaviour and Emotions. Um, it's it's a have you have oh I don't think I've come a, I don't know I don't think I've come a, um, come across it. Tell me more about it. It sounds really interesting, and and I'm sure parents would really benefit from um, hearing about it. It has lots and lots of top tips and lots and lots of ideas for working with children uh, with language difficulties. Um, that often show themselves as behavioural difficulties. Um, Emma, have you got anything that you want to say about it? Yeah, so there's lots of different modules through it. And for for professionals, there is an assessment that comes with this. But what will be really interesting for parents are the modules that's included to allow them to understand the the background skills. That means that the children could be displaying certain behaviours. Or maybe the teacher's been on the phone and been saying, you know, X has been doing this. Um, and we can look at the reasons as to why that might be. So we can look at things, um, quite a technical term called comprehension monitoring. Okay, so we okay. can look at the ability to be able to um, see if a child understands if they know something or not. Do they know when to ask for help? Do they know that they don't know? Because that's going to cause some frustrations and cause some behaviours if we can't recognise that and develop that skill. Okay, so that's one of the modules. It has a really lovely one as well um, called Crazy Phrases, yeah. which is based on whether the child, you know, if you say it's raining cats and dogs, um, wow. does the child understand, you know, are they looking for all these cats and dogs that are coming down out of the sky? And uh, it, that is that is a, a lovely module, I think. And it, it's quite surprising how difficult students find to actually understand some of these phrases. And they they say they say yes I understand, and then they say no I don't think I I don't think I do understand. You know, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's yeah it's hard to navigate um, those phrases or yeah particular nuances. I know my perspective that I, I'm thinking about in my career working in pupil referral units or alternative provisions where we do have. Uh, children young people maybe with less language skills but particularly um, English as an additional language 
Um, and some of the phrases that yeah I've used and just had an absolute blank from lots of my learners and just been like right <laughs> I need yeah, to peel yeah. back what I'm doing and my communication um, equally I think if we're thinking about the the home environment I'm wondering what the impact of um, less language and understanding at home um, how that might um, manifest itself and mm. I mean you, you find as well that lots of families and people from different localities have their own phrases, but often for years and years, our children have heard these phrases, but don't know what they mean. Mm. And again, being able to ask what they mean and being able to feel that they can explore that with their families and have a giggle about that, you know, learning that together. What does that actually mean? What does that mean when I say it in this way? Um, and we don't just mean in terms of in, in the classroom, we mean at home too, you know, don't avoid sarcasm in every you know in every aspect of your life we have to teach that we have to include our children in that as well we want them to be a part of that as they're growing up and have a chance to role play with joking and sarcasm and ambiguous language as much as we can so the home is a really good place to do that yeah I, I, I'm just thinking about some um, ASC which uh, autism um, you know spectrum condition that students that I'm working with young people but I work one-to-one -one, so it's kind of like being part of a, a family I sometimes feel like I'm yeah part of part of the furniture almost yeah. and I know there's maybe a bit of a stereotype with uh children with um um on the spectrum that you know they don't necessarily have humor or don't make eye contact or don't understand sarcasm and that some of the young people that I work with are so dry and so funny and I think, you know, at home, you know, professionally, wherever we are, we forget that, you know, that there are such different ways of communicating, aren't there? And mm, sarcasm, humour, you know, everyone can can relate to it. And I think, you know, some of those stereotypes aren't, aren't helpful. Absolutely. Uh, this is the same as one of the other modules where we, you can move on to exploring feelings and this can be quite difficult for some parents as well. You know, if they've grown up in a household where they maybe weren't advised to explore their feelings um it really helps to open up that conversation as well um in an easy way so there's lots of different words that you can explore lots of different vocabulary for feelings and um, there's lots of icons throughout it to make it very visual um, and it just introduces you to some different strategies that yes they can be used in the classroom but absolutely use them at home um, all of the young people that I use this book with, I would recommend that some of these things are done at home as well. So I think it's really important for parents and caregivers at home to be able to read this sort of information. And I, I guess I'm wondering is, um, particularly in the home environment, how does developing a language of feelings, how does that help behaviour? What, what, what's the, the, the ideas behind that, the theories? I think so many of the children that, that we work with anyway, um, find it very difficult to actually identify feelings, um, you know, and they will go very quickly from everything's fine to everything really difficult and I'm really, really angry and I'm really, really furious. And so one of the things that we try to do with, with the young people is to, um, is to actually get them to identify actually how are they feeling? Are they feeling just a little bit put out or are they feeling angry or are they feeling furious you know and teaching them that there is actually a scale of emotion um, and a scale of feelings and we don't have to go from being everything's hunky-dory to um, 
I'm really, really mad and I'm really, really angry and I'm just about to, um, you know, to throw this onto the floor or, or something like that. Yeah, the zero to hero, isn't it? To yeah. use a phrase that probably would be confusing, exactly what you just said. <laughs> but um, yeah, that zero to hero idea. So um, I think I've talked before on the podcast that I know personally um, for me and uh, my family would notice this at home definitely is that if I'm feeling anxious I'm not always aware that I'm feeling anxious and it comes out as anger and I can be really snappy I'm sure we can all relate to that but it's so similar for our children isn't it that anxiety-based behaviors can come out in the you know a slightly aggressive way not describing myself as aggressive but maybe angry <laughs> might be yes. more kind to myself yeah. one of the sections in the book because it, it it has a template of the body just a blank template of a body, let's say. And what would be really nice is for people at home to be able to explore with their children then, if they can recognise, so like you mentioned about your anxieties and people around you can spot that, about how they notice that in your body, how you hold yourself, how you might fidget more, how you might cuddle your hair more, or you start people sometimes blink more, twitch, and they can tell you what they recognise in you. And that then helps you in turn recognise how your emotions are building up on that scale that Trish spoke about a minute ago. What sort of language would, would you say, like for, for a parent at home that might be identifying with, with these ideas, how would, what sort of language would you use when you're, you're modelling, um, you know, identifying someone else's feelings? I think it can be quite difficult, can't it? Because we don't actually know how the child is actually feeling it. I was just thinking while you were talking about um, a young lad that I used to work with quite a long time ago. And he used to um, go from, you know, being just quietly sitting to really, really angry. Um, and we were trying very hard to work out what triggered it and how he felt. And, and eventually we, we managed to tie it to sort of pin it down to a fizzy feeling in my tummy. Um, and that was that was his way of, of, dis of describing how he felt before before it all got too much for him. Um, and that's interesting yeah so then we were able to you know to find a way of dealing with that so when the, when the fizzy feeling comes this is what maybe this is what maybe you could do or maybe you could do that you know so he'd got some options as to what to do to take himself slightly out of the situation uh, that was causing the the, the distress that's we have lots of fizzy coke bottle examples don't we <laughs> in our training that we do we have the fizzy coke bottle so if there's been an incident and you're feeling like a fizzy coke bottle you wouldn't take the top off just yet and that leads us into where we talk about questioning and the language of questioning with young people mm. um, so if somebody had just cut you up in the car on the way to work and um, the first thing you don't want to do is be asking you know well why, why do you feel like that you know you're not ready for that you're ready to snap yeah, so it's the same with our young people too. You know, if they're ready to fizz, if they're ready to explode, we need to think about how we scaffold our questioning and really bring that back into a lower level. Um, who was there? What were you doing? You know, the first, next, last, before we even begin to bring in those more emotive questions um, and the whys. Um, but often that's what people jump to first. You know, why did you do that? Why did you hit her? why why straight away off and don't we find Trish yes so it is very much a case of scaling it right back scaling it right down to where were you who was there what did you do 
what did the other person do Mm. what happened next and so on and then maybe how are you feeling now Mm. on perhaps you know like a little scale and how do you think the other person's feeling um yeah they're so important those conversations at home aren't they because I think on our last, particularly in series three, we've, we've talked about communication a lot. We've talked about um, difficult conversations. We've talked about respectful communication. And now we're talking about sort of uh, the language of, of behavior. But it's, it's just, it's so important, isn't it? That we have that time at home to be able to do those restorative approaches. And I think sometimes, you know, with our busy lifestyles, it's, it's easy to miss those bits. And we hear in schools, don't we, restorative practices and the justice system, all those restorative practices, but I'm not sure um, all the time how, how we fit that in at, at home. Can you think of ways that maybe parents and carers could sort of build that into sort of everyday um, life? So really rehearsing what we're talking about there. So if there has been an incident, say in school, Often parents will hear about it as they're picked up or, you know, after an after school club or it's passed on somewhere along the line. They get a phone call. Um, and often the children may have already been given a, um, a consequence for that. They've already maybe been seen as being punished for that. And you hear about a lot of situations where parents feel they have to then do that as well. But I recommend from my point of view that actually parents take the opportunity to go through these sorts of approaches and think about the questioning and go through the scenario and just getting them to retell you that event retell you that story one what do they remember Mm. and what can they tell you do you know who was there can you tell me what happened well what happened first and often we'll get that as a little bit of time has passed we'll get a different version of that story and it could be more likely to be realistic of what's happened if we're retelling it using those types of questions. Um, what happens in school? I'm not suggesting um, that that children are lying in school. I'm suggesting that it's more difficult um, in an emotional state to be able to tell that version of events. Um, especially, for language, yeah. especially for language disordered children because they're angry or they're upset or excited the language just goes doesn't it and they really can't they can't put it into words and so more often than not they then either go off on one or they take the blame maybe for something that perhaps they haven't done blame their actions clearly yeah you know being put on the spot that's really difficult but at home having that chance to talk it through with somebody that they can hopefully trust and somebody that they've got time to tell their side of the story to um, we find that that is a lot easier to do. So, I mean, I use a lot of post-it notes. I've yep. got a young girl that I work with at the moment in a secondary school at an alternative provision. And the first time that she has to tell me about an event, it is, um, we have an, an inside joke of, it is an EastEnders episode. Everything is heightened. Everything is dramatised. And mm. by no means am I suggesting that she is lying, but this is due to her background that everything has that extra drama with the story so we support her through that and we help her tell her story until she's finished and then the first thing we we do is go back to the beginning and we get the post-it notes out okay tell me what happened first and then we can boil it down to the main ideas of what happened and you'll find a lot of that drama then starts falling away as she realizes what really did happen who was really there what actually happened um so if that can be done at home 
it's so useful to develop those narrative and language skills mm. absolutely that's that's what i'd be suggesting people try i think that would be brilliant at home actually because that you know that it's that processing time right as well because in the moment you might process it um an incident at school as a child young person but maybe at home you don't have that chance to actually talk it through when the dust has completely settled hopefully and you can do it in a calmer way and the you know the parent might get more out of it um you know than than we could in a school or you know where that child goes that's really uh, that's given me loads of food for thought about the processing time um that children might need when you know difficult things um happen we ha- I, I am conscious of time and i just want to make sure that we get our top uh, tips in on this uh, topic so trish if you start us off yeah one of the top tips was the 10 second rule a lot of children and young people find it quite difficult to process so it's allowing 10 seconds for them to process so if you ask them a question or you ask them to tell you something give them 10 seconds and that can feel like quite a long time so it's worth practicing beforehand but that then allows the child to process what it is you're asking them come up with their response and and say it and a second one is the hand rule so thinking about on, on your hand, we have one question to four, something like comments, repetition, expansion or an explanation. So we don't want to hear about at the end of the school day, we often hear, well, they can't tell me anything. We hear that a lot. I get that a lot from my children. You know, you want to find <laughs> out everything they've been doing. You find question, 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 question. Who were you sat with? Who did you play with? What did you eat? Um, but actually you want one question and then you want a comment um, repeating something they've said, oh, you found that really fun, did you? Oh, you drew that picture today. Um, or expanding something. Um, it could be something as simple as, so you were looking at space today. Did you, you know, looking at the, the stars and the moon and the planets and building on things that they've said rather than going straight back in for another question um, really allows them that breathing space and links quite closely to the 10 second rule. And then, of course, there's also scaffolding questions. Um, you know, if you think back to what we were saying earlier about um, if, if a child's been involved in an incident or you're trying to find something out, so that you really do keep those questions and the language of the questions really simple and allow plenty of time. So it's that, what happened? Where were you? Who was there? What happened first? What did you do? did the other person do and so on uh, so that you really can give the child or the young person the best opportunity to actually put their side of the story and then my last soapbox one one that I'm very passionate about (laughs) um, just to let parents and their children know you know you or your child you are not your emotions and you are not your behavior okay your behaviour is a response to your emotions. You may not have reacted in the way that you wanted to at that moment in time, but that's a small part of your day, hopefully. And if we can respond to that in a positive way, using some of these strategies, we can try and keep that to a small part of your day. Um, I'm really big on the children that I work with them recognising that what they have done maybe previously or prior to working with me does not lead to me then thinking that they are a bad person. You know, that was something that happened at that moment in time. You are not your emotions. You are not your behaviour. And we can move forward from there. Brilliant. Um, 
Thank you so much. I've, I've paused there because I've just got loads of food for thought and I really like the scaffolding actually. So yeah, I'm just reflecting on um, bits that I might um, add in um, yeah, to uh, my nieces and nephews in particular is expanding on questions. But thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk and loads of food for thought. Um, those top tips will um, put in the bottom of the information of the podcast so people have them and also a link to the book. But yeah, thanks Emma. Thanks Trish for your time today. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. There's heaps more helpful advice for all your parents and needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.